Tonight, we're talking about Peter's shame. Peter's shame. I confess to you, I have not really looked forward to this one. Um, For a lot of reasons, Peter's one of my heroes, and I identify with him in a lot of ways, but I also, as I prepared this message, man, I saw a lot of flecks of my own life in, in this, this that lead it up, leaded, that led up to uh, Peter's, Peter's terrible denial of Christ. Chapter 14, verse 66. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when he saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. Um, And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again, and a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, for the cock crow twice thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Father, would you help us tonight as we look to your word, Father? It's a sad part of the chapter, but it's the next in line. And Lord, there's something in it for me, something I need to learn, something I need to apply. And I think that's true of all of us. So Lord, would you help me to preach this and teach this in the way that most pleases you? Would you speak to us in an unusual way tonight? And may Christ have his way and be lifted up. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. I like Shakespeare. Um, uh, One of my favorites is Julius Caesar. I've referenced this quote before, but I like it. When Mark Antony was speaking at Julius Caesar's funeral, he said, The evil that men do live after them, but the good is often turred with their bones. And there's a lot of truth to that. People tend to remember the negatives more quickly than the positives. Think of the positives of Peter's victories, his great confession of faith. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's one of only two people to walk on water. He's part of the inner circle of the disciples, him and James and John. He preached the great sermon at Pentecost. He healed the lame man. He healed Aeneas and was was used to raise Tabitha or Dorcas back from the dead. But our mind tends to stray to the goofs and mistakes of life, don't they? Yeah, he walked on water, but he started to sink. Yeah, but he walked on water. But what do we focus on? He started to sink. Um, I think about Peter. I think about the Mount of Transfiguration. What a glorious thing to see. And then what did Peter say? Let's make three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. That was such a grievous error that God himself spoke from heaven and corrected it. See, But I think what we look at more quickly than anything as far as his failures is the three times he denied Jesus the night of his trial. This could be labeled as his great failure. Now let's, let's make this personal, y'all. We too live every day just the faintest breath, the most fleeting thought, the least guarded word from embracing our own great failure. I'm as capable as Peter of failing. Um, It could happen. But for God's grace, that great failure could happen. We, like Peter, only a heartbeat away from our own moment of disgrace before and against our holy God. So what we want to do tonight is we look to Peter's example to determine what we're going to call tonight the slope to shame. I left out slippery, just the slope to shame. Let me begin with a couple of things just to, to cover independent of the text. 
Some people have imagined a contradiction. This is one of the few things that's recorded in all four Gospels. Peter's denial is in all four Gospels. And some people imagine a contradiction that's there because the the Gospels report each one a little bit differently. Remember, the Gospels do not contradict one another. They complement one another. They give you more information. They don't mess up the information. So with that in mind, let's, let's quickly look at it just to make sure we all are on the same page. No contradiction here. Only elaboration regarding those who questioned Peter. When Peter was um, there around the fire, it appears as though it appears as though there's a contradiction. But let's look at it real quick. The first denial. Matthew records that it was a damsel that questioned him. Mark records that it was a maid. Luke records it was a maid. John records it was a damsel. Is there any contradiction there? Damsel and maid are the same thing. Okay, they're all servants. They're female servants, probably of the high priest. Then the second denial, Matthew says he was questioned by another maid. Mark says he was questioned by another maid. Luke just says he was questioned by another. So it could have been a maid, okay? Then John says he was questioned by servants. Was the maid one of the servants? She was. And it's entirely plausible that other servants were questioning at the same time this maid was. So there's no contradiction here either. Then denial three. In Matthew it says, him that stood by. Mark says, they that stood by. Is him part of they? Sure. Okay, Matthew was led to focus in on one, but it was probably a course of people saying it. In uh, Luke, it says another, and, and John is most specific that this person is a kinsman of Malchus, the guy that Peter lopped his ear off. You know? So there's no contradiction here. And don't let anybody draw you into that thought. Just the Gospels are reporting it more specifically or less specifically as God leads them. Another thing we want to think about going into this thing. Peter did not fall that night because he responded wrongly to the servants around the fire. He got his back against the wall. He got scared and he blew it. That's not why Peter messed up that night. His slide towards shame and that slope towards shame and failure started long before this moment. The truth is, y'all, if you wait until the temptation presents itself to decide if you're going to do right or wrong, you're going to do wrong. We should be prepared. And so what we want to do tonight is we want to pay close attention to see if these flaws that we see in Peter exist in us. Now, let me give you a spoiler. They do. I've seen several. I guess to some degree, all of these. But I've seen several that the Holy Spirit just said, you got something to work on, bud. See? Okay, so let's look at these, these things that contributed to his slope to shame. Number one, he thought he knew better than God. Now that sounds rough, but let's be honest. Is that not a human tendency to think that we know better than God? Anytime that we don't obey the word of God, we're essentially saying we know better, right? If you would, go to Matthew 16. Let's look at that, that account. We're going to be back and forth in Mark, but let's look, at the, uh, let's look at an account before that. Matthew 16, verse 21. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. If you want to join me, fine. Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem And suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. Verse 22, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Who did he begin to rebuke? Jesus, who is God, began to rebuke him saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. What's he saying? You're wrong. I know better than you. How in the world can you in one breath say you're the Christ, the son of the living God, and then turn around and say, but you're wrong? I got news for you. The same way we do it. 
What was Jesus' response? Did he take this lightly? He did not. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. I can't speak to what Peter intended. I can only note that Peter essentially said, Lord, you're wrong. And when we disregard anything that God says in favor of our own take on something, we are well on our way on the slope to shame. If there's a moment in our minds and in our hearts that God is not right about anything, we're on the slope. Second, second step here. God's word didn't apply to him. Mark chapter 14. We'll back, back in Mark again. Back in the first part of the chapter, verse 27. Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. What's Peter saying there? Jesus said, all of you are going to be offended. All of you are going to flee. Peter said, not me. I know what you're saying, but it doesn't apply to me. Now, I say this because I believe in the power of the word of God and the power of the spirit of God, not because I believe in my own preaching. But here's one thing I know. Anytime we gather in God's house around God's word, there is always something for us personally. Always. And, and you know, we preach a message on salvation. Well, I guess I can check out because I'm already saved. No. There's always something. And at any level, when we start to imagine that there's something that God is speaking about that doesn't apply to us, we're in trouble. We're in trouble and we're on the slope. Whenever we dismiss anything from the word of God as being outside of our scope of possibility, we're in trouble. Number three. So he thought he knew better than God, and God's word didn't apply to him. But here's the third thing that put Peter on the slope to shame. Number three, he failed to heed the warnings of God's word. If we were to go over to Luke's account in Luke 22, he adds something that the other three Gospels don't. Here's what he says. Luke 22, 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. By the way, it's interesting that he calls him Simon and not Peter. Simon was his old name. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He's warning him. Satan's got his eye on you. Any of us who have preached in chapel here at Granite have probably made a similar kind of warning. Young people, Satan wants you. He desires to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And thank the Lord for young people that hear that warning and are trying to put things in place in their lives to help protect them. But we all can think of young people in, over the past. I mean, Miss Collins and all the years that she's, she's taught here, I'm sure that there are people that come to her mind that she, she tried to sound the warning, Satan's after you, and they didn't listen. Peter didn't listen. Jesus warned him directly of his impending fall, and Peter, Peter didn't take it to heart. The Bible is replete with warnings for us. The question is, are we heeding them? Can I just pick out maybe five? Psalm sixty-six, eighteen: if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's a warning. If you don't deal with sin, prayer is useless to you. That's a warning. Does the Bible warn us about being careless? Yes, it does. Be sober. Be vigilant. 
because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's a warning. I'm going to tell you something that has really grieved my heart. I'm running out of reasons to have anything to do with social media. If there was a way for me to get off of it and still minister effectively, I would. I am staggered at how many people that I've known over the years that claim the name of Christ, have come up in Christian homes, have given Christian testimonies, and now they and their significant other who are not married are celebrating the birth of a new baby. Now, please don't get me wrong. We should never be unkind to these folks. We should never be mean-spirited. But you do understand that sex outside of marriage is still wrong. It's still wrong. And the cacophony of amens. Yes, it's still wrong. There's a warning about that. Marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Not might, not should, not could, he will that's a warning. Well, okay. Are there warnings about relationships? Yep. Proverbs 22, verse 24, make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. 2 Corinthians six fourteen. It, it, it applies to friendships, it applies to romantic relationships, and certainly marriages, business relationships, all of that. What's it say? Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, what communion hath light with darkness? That's a warning. Here's one. My soul, I can't tell you, once again, how many people I went to school with spent all kinds of time and energy espousing the virtues of social drinking. Here's a warning, Proverbs 23, 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Is there anything good in that? Can I tell you something? I'm not going to get in detail, but I've been on both sides of that aisle. My, my life is not one bit diminished by not drinking alcohol, and my not, life has not been one bit improved by drinking it. Peter failed to heed the warnings of God's word, and many of us at times do as well. He thought he knew better than God. God's word didn't apply to him. Number four, he fell in the direction of his strength. I've been taught this my whole life. We tend to fall in the direction of our strength. Now, what does that mean? What we read about Peter, does Peter sound like a wimp to you? No, Peter, Peter's a man's man. If you know anything about just, just the, the, the types of occupations of the day, fishermen were not weaklings. Fishermen worked hard in the sun. They were rough and they were burly. Peter, Peter was a man's man, and we know that he tended to cuss. I mean, Peter was not this little meek, milquetoast dude that, you know. Peter was tough. And we know that Peter was likely a pretty, pretty courageous guy. Can I remind you? Who's the one that went to arms in the Garden of Gethsemane and tried to take somebody's head off? Peter. Peter's not a coward. Peter's not a weakling. And, and I have no doubt that when Jesus said, you're going to flee, Peter truly believed, not me. I truly believe that he was convinced that that kind of cowardice was beneath him. But here's what I'd like for you to do tonight. I'd like for you to think of a sin that honestly you think is probably beneath you. Something you can't fathom. I know what mine is. All too often, I read or hear of some preacher some Christian who's been found to be abusive to children. 
Y'all, I cannot fathom that. I cannot fathom how anybody could find any bit of satisfaction of any kind in mistreating a child. I don't get it. And yet I better believe that I'm capable of it. Because if I think that there's something that is beneath me, I will not guard against it. And I'll fall in that direction. I can't fathom it, y'all. So, Andy, when you hear about some preacher that's been caught up in something like this, what do you do? I double my efforts to do right by kids in my own way. I'm all the more aware of the need for accountability. I'm all the more aware of making sure that I'm operating correctly. I'm all the more aware of making sure I've got the right things in place and accountability is in place. Why? Because but for God's grace, there I am. And if there's any sin out there that you think is beyond, beneath you and there is no way, that is where you are most in danger. Well, Andy, that doesn't really make sense to me. Well, then let me give you a Bible verse to solidify it. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he what? Fall. Oh, I could never do that. And in your thinking, you may honestly believe that. But you've got to know that apart from the leadership of the Holy Spirit, there is nothing that our old stinking rotten flesh isn't capable of. We're on constant guard against those problem areas. It's the quote-unquote strengths that tend to get us. Let me give you a name of a preacher, and not of our denomination, certainly, not of our ideology in most cases. But you wouldn't hear a preacher preach more fervently and more eloquently against immorality than Jimmy Swaggart. And what happened? He fell in the direction of his strength. All right, so what do we got so far? He thought he knew better than God. God's word didn't apply to him. Um, He failed to heed the warnings of God's word. He fell in the direction of his strength. Number five, he got separated from his accountability. When you read Mark, you see Peter at the high priest's palace. But something that I always, always recommend, when you're reading any narrative in the Gospels, read all four Gospels. Get get the whole picture. Because if you go to John, you know what you find out? Peter didn't go by himself. John 18, 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. John speaking of himself. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without, then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. So Peter and John arrive there together. John got Peter in, and there they stand. But at some point, Peter and John separated. How do we know that? First of all, there's no mention of John being anywhere around Peter during this exchange. Number two, you have to believe that at some point, John would have said something about Peter's denials. He wasn't there. At some point, Peter separated himself from John. Now hear this, y'all. We hear a lot about the independent American spirit. I love America, but some of the ideals about the American dream and the independent American spirit as they're put forward by people that claim to be patriots are completely unscriptural. Why in America you pull yourself up? No, you don't. You need the help of God. None of us have ever pulled ourselves up from anything. God does that. Okay. And another one is the independent spirit. We don't need anybody. I got news for you. Spiritually, you absolutely need other people.
We all have need of other Christians to help us in our journey. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. When Jesus sent his disciples out, what, how did he group them? In twos. Now that doesn't mean that every soul winning exchange you have needs to be with somebody else. But there's wisdom in having somebody to go with you to, to fight this fight for the Lord. One of the most powerful tools in Satan's arsenal is isolation. And is that not our tendency? When things start to hurt, what do we tend to do? We tend to retreat within ourselves, and we tend to, 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 you know, to put that shell around us. And I don't want anybody to know what's going on in my thinking. I don't want anybody to know that I'm straight. I don't, and, 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 and listen, it happens to me all the time, all the time. Nobody ever believes me when I say this. I am by nature an introvert. Nobody believes that, but I am telling you behind God's sacred desk, it's true. But you're always talking to people and everything. I am in pastor mode. I got a switch that I flip, and I go into pastor mode. I'm not saying I'm being duplicitous or I'm not being honest with people. I'm just saying my job requires, hard to be a pastor and not talk to people. But if I am in a situation in which I am not in pastor mode, I am a wallflower to the hilt. So like when my wife makes me go to something that she only people, there are people she knows. I don't know any of those people. You know, some meeting they're having at work, some family thing they're having at work. I don't know those people. I don't roll up in there, hey, everybody, God bless you, good to see you. Nope. I am off to the side. I am to myself. I am... I am, I am just, I'm just isolation. But I look at my time as a pastor. The times that I have struggled the most in different areas have been when I did not take advantage of the people God's put in my life to help me. I can do this on my own. No, you can't. None of us can. Do you know what, what Peter used to justify it? He was close enough. Because what do we know from Luke 22? He was close enough to see Jesus and Jesus to see him. But that does not mean that he was close enough. But, but what do we tend to do? I'm close enough. This is enough. No. He's separated from his accountability. Number five. Nope, number six. Letter F. He allowed feelings to distance him from his Lord. Now, admittedly, this one's, you're going to have to come with me down this road a little bit, okay? Look, we're back in chapter 14 of Mark. Look at verse 54. And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. So why did Peter go to the fire? Don't overthink this. To warm himself, which would imply that he was what? Cold. Okay? Okay. If you're cold, is it wrong to warm yourself at a fire? Nope. Peter's positioning was not wrong, but it was not best. There were things more important than his comfort. There were things more important than changing his feeling from cold to warm. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. It's not what's best. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now follow me on this. 
Peter allowed the good endeavor of feeling better to overshadow the best endeavor of staying close to Jesus. Does that make sense? Now let's, let's, let's use our sanctified imaginations here. If Peter had stayed close to Jesus, there would have been no reason for him to deny him because it would have been assumed that he was on Jesus' side, that he was with him, right? You don't read anything about John denying Jesus, do you? Why? Because he was there. People, The high priest knew him. He knew what side he was on. But Peter is just far enough away that he can come into question. Anytime we allow feelings, no matter how apparently good, to distance us from the Lord, we have made a mistake and are on the slope to shame. So let's try and illustrate this. Let's try and make this pertinent to where we are right now. Now, I'm talking to a Wednesday night crowd. I hope this is not the case for anybody in here. But over the years, I have known pastors. I have been the pastor. I have been in all kinds of situations. Somebody leaves a church, and the reason is they don't like the way it makes them feel. Okay, now, are there churches that mishandle the word and leave you feeling a way that is not what God intended? Sure, that happens. Okay, but if you're going to a church where the word of God is preached, the people are serving God the best they know how, they're seeking to walk with God, people are not treating you wrong and everything, then, then really feeling shouldn't come into it, should it? But a lot of times we make, we make decisions based on our feelings or how our kids feel about something or something else instead of that which keeps us closest to the Lord. For Peter, it was something as simple as, I'm cold, I'm going to the fire. But you know what? Just because it's a legitimate feeling doesn't mean that it's the most important thing to do right there at that moment. Now here's the last one. All God's people said amen. All right, Peter thought he knew better than God. God's word didn't apply to him. He failed to heed the warnings of God's word. He fell in the direction of his strength. He separated from his accountability. He allowed feelings to distance him from the Lord. And here's the last one, you ready? He fed the wrong nature. We're in chapter 14, verse 72. Well... Let's go to verse 66. Let's read all of that. As Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. <laughs> That's, I love that. You know what he's saying? That's crazy talk. I don't even, I don't even understand what you're saying. You know. Methinks thou dost protest too much. Here's another Shakespeare for you. Okay. I understand, neither understand what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. By the way, you can be so in a bad way that you don't even remember what Jesus said. The first time he heard that rooster, it should have been like, whoa. But it didn't. It wasn't an alarm at all, was it? 69. And a maid saw him again and began to say unto them that stood by, this is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. That's very much like if somebody says, You're from southwest Virginia, aren't you? Your speech agreeeth thereto. All right? Yeah. It's like southerners in general. You go, up, you go up somewhere up north, people pick up on you being southern pretty quick. I got a buddy of mine that was in my church in Alabama. We went to college together. He's now pastoring a church outside of Seattle, Washington. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. He talks like this. Hey, buddy, how you doing? And I'm telling you, he sticks out like a sore thumb in Seattle. Not a whole lot of people in Seattle. Hey, welcome to the Pacific Northwest. Roll Tide. You know, it's, it's, it's not up there. Okay. Um, his speech betrays him so to speak. Anyway. Verse 70, he denied it again a little after they that stood by said again to Peter, surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. 
and he began to curse and to swear. Is that very Christian? No. He began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Okay? He fed the wrong nature. All right, let me give you some thoughts here. Number one, would you agree with me that saved people, when somebody is saved, at that moment they now possess two natures, the old and the new. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? Jesus answered, said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born, what? Again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. For the moment of your salvation, you take on a second nature. The old man, the new man. Now, I'm going to ask you another one. Think about it for your answer. Would you agree with me if I said our new man, this new nature, is incapable of sinning? Huh. The answer is yes. The new man is incapable of sinning. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. For that which I do, by this Paul speaking, pretty good Christian, that which I do I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. You ever been there? What I want to do is what I don't do, and what I don't want to do is what I end up doing. That's me, y'all. I understand that. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now listen to verse 20. Now if I do that I would not, what's that? That's evil according to verse 19. If I do that I would not, if I do evil, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. What's he saying? It's not my new man that's doing it. My new man's perfect. It's the old man. See? He goes on to say, I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that, that my new man is incapable of sinning. When I sin, it's the old man, not the new man. Okay. Now, this does not absolve us of responsibility. Why? We can't just do wrong and say, well... That old man got his way, but I didn't do it. No, because we're the ones that choose which nature, which mind will be fed and ultimately win. We make that choice. Every sin we've ever committed, we do so by choice. How do I know? Because Paul continues to make it very clear in Romans chapter 6 that whether we sin or not is completely our choice. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. What is Paul saying? He's saying you choose which nature wins. I didn't say it's easy. Saved people possess two natures, the old and the new, and that new man is incapable of sinning because that's been quickened by the Holy Spirit. Okay, It's the old man that does the sinning. This doesn't absolve us of responsibility. We choose which nature, which mind will be fed and ultimately win. And these natures we do call minds. Philippians 2.5, let this what? Mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You choose what mind you employ, what nature you employ. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, what in the world am I trying to get to here? Okay. With all that in mind, no pun intended, okay, regarding our two natures, 
It's evident that Peter fed the wrong nature because look at verse 72. The second time the cock crew and Peter called to mind, called to what? To mind. The word that Jesus said unto him before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Now Mark gives us a phrase that no other gospel gives us. And when he thought there on, he wept. When he thought there on. What is he saying? When Peter sinned, was he in his right mind or his wrong mind? His wrong mind, correct? So what does he do? He returns to his right mind. And when his right mind is active again, what's his response? He's ashamed. In fact, Matthew and Luke go a little bit further. It doesn't just say he wept. They say he wept bitterly. Bitterly. Have you ever looked at somebody that was making bad decisions and said, my soul, they're out of their mind. They're not in their right mind. That's exactly right. They're not. They're in the wrong mind. They're in the natural mind. They're not in the spiritual mind. They're in the wrong mind. Now, I don't want you to dwell on this, but I want you to at least pick a time in your life where you failed God and you felt bad about it. Okay? Don't dwell on it. But how many times have we as Christians gone down the wrong road? Let's say in an argument. Let's say me and my wife had an argument. Okay? And I said things that were unkind and I said things that were unchristian and everything else. But then I thought thereon. I got back in my right mind. And the Holy Spirit started working on me. And you know what? I was ashamed. How many times has somebody been holding a phone or sitting in front of a computer screen in the wrong mind? And then it's over. And they thought on it. And they're ashamed. How many times has somebody sat in a hotel room, caught up in the moment, but then they thought they were on, and they were ashamed? How many times has somebody sat over an empty bottle, a syringe, and they thought they were on, and they were ashamed? I'm saying that is exactly where Peter was. Peter knew he'd blown it. And now, after the devil, seeing his, his natural man take the lead, Peter realizes, I was in my wrong mind. This was the wrong nature to feed, and now what is he? I'm ashamed. I'm so ashamed. So how do we avoid this? We avoid this if we consciously endeavor, daily at least, but certainly for many, moment by moment, to choose the new man first and starve the old one. How do we do that? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their what? Their mind. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves over. Did you see that? Have given themselves over. Nobody was forced to. They gave themselves over to lasciviousness. What's lasciviousness? 
That means a sin that has no limits. They gave themselves over to it to work all uncleanness with greediness. But look at verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. Christian, you should be different. If so be, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your what? Mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, where, where of putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor. And he goes on to talk about what will result from this. Go over to chapter 6, verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Here's what it comes down to, y'all. Every morning I get up, I wake up with two natures. My old man and my new man. Who's dominant when I wake up? The old man. I feel him in every inch of me. I walk like him. I act like him. The old man. The old man. My body doesn't want to get up. My body doesn't want to study. My body doesn't want to pray. Now, y'all may be more spiritual than me, but I'm telling you, my body, my flesh doesn't want to do these things. It wants to sleep in, and it wants to watch TV, and it wants to do all kinds of other things. But when it comes to doing the things that, that, that make me more like Jesus, it wants no part of it. So what do I have to do? The same thing you all have to do. Lord God, the best I know how today, I'm going to take upon me the whole armor of God. I'm going to start this day in your word. I'm going to start this day talking to you. And I am asking you to take full control of my spirit and give me wisdom and help me to walk with you and to be what you would have me to be today and help me to stay away from those things that would feed my flesh. So you have a perfect day every day? Nope. There have been times that I've had to slip away during lunchtime. Lord, I'm not doing so hot today. So the best I know how, I'm putting on the whole armor of God. And I'm asking you to take control. And I, sometimes I have to do that over and over and over. But if you don't, I promise you, if you don't, the old man will take over and he will not let go the whole day and you'll look back on the day and be ashamed because you fed the wrong nature. So let's take a thought about our music and what we watch on television and what we look at on our phones and on our computers and what we talk about with our friends. What are we feeding? What are we feeding? How much time have you spent in God's word? How much time have you spent in prayer? In fact, forget time. How deeply have you been praying? You may only have five minutes to pray, but you get after it. How much meditation have you done on the word of God? How much time have you spent around other Christians as best you can to be, in, to be in encouraged? Because if you don't, if you do like Peter and you isolate yourself and you get away from your accountability and you let your feelings drive you farther away from the Lord and you think that you know better than God and you think that parts of his word don't apply to you, then by and by, I promise you, I promise you, you will find yourself in a place in which you weep bitterly. Because that's the slope. And I'd love to tell you that I've never slipped down that slope, but I have.
I was about 19 years old. I've told you about how I thought God was going to kill me. Made an appointment with my pastor. My pastor said, a lot of people think a lot of things about you. I said, yeah, I've heard. And good night. If half of what they think about me is true, I'd been dead by now. So it doesn't matter. Are you willing to say what needs to be said? And I said, yes, sir, I am. And I stood up there, and I let people think that what they thought about me was true, most of which was not. Why? Because in that moment, I had to do what I had to do to kill the flesh. To mortify those members. Have I been perfect since then? No. I've had to be ashamed over and over and over. But I got good news for you. This isn't the end of Peter's story. It's not the end of Peter's story. I'm not going to go there tonight, but we're going to find at the end of Mark. How interesting is it that Mark records this? By the way, we believe Peter had a lot of influence in the gospel of Mark. Peter and Mark were together a lot. The angels deliver a message at the empty tomb that's from Jesus. And in the other gospels, they're telling the ladies to go tell the disciples. But in Mark it says, go tell the disciples and Peter. He knows Peter's been weeping bitterly. Now, did Peter have to get taken to the woodshed? He did. When did it happen? I think it happened around that fire when he said, hey, Peter, do you love me? I love you. Hey, Peter, do you love me? I love you. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Everybody around that fire knew what Jesus was doing. Jesus was whooping Peter. Probably wasn't any fun. But who preaches the message at Pentecost and sees 3,000 people get saved? Peter. Aren't you glad that failure isn't final? <laughs> the Bible doesn't say the just man never falls. It says the just man falls and rises up again. See? So, watch out for this slope. Because once you're on it, it's slippery. And it'll lead Shame.